Welcome to the Ottawa Business Journal's live broadcast of Off the Clock But Not Off the Hook, When to Discipline for Off-Duty Conduct. Hello, everyone. I'm Michael Kern from the Ottawa Business Journal. Thank you for joining us today. We've had hundreds of people sign up once again for today's live broadcast. As always, one of the benefits of watching this live is that we want to get a little bit interactive and we'll be soliciting some of your questions at the end of your end of the show, sometime around 1225 likely. Uh, just keep in mind, as always, that our legal experts are only able to speak to general questions. They can't answer specific around cases or scenarios. Well, I think we're closing off Eamon Harnden's 2023 webinar series with potentially the hottest topic to date. Earlier this year, we talked about how our online world offers both upsides and risks when it comes to remote work. You can check some of the past uh, webinars, by the way, on our YouTube channel. Today, we take the conversation a little bit further. While social media is no doubt a big part of today's conversation, we're going to delve into what employers need to know about disciplining their employees for off-duty conduct, both online and offline. All right, let's meet our experts for Eamon Harnden, two uh, great people we've brought to the table to speak with all of you and share their knowledge. First up, we've got Sarah LaPointe, a partner at Eamon Harnden. Uh, welcome, Sarah. Hi, thank you for having us. Great to have you back with us, returning uh, returning guest. And uh, also, uh, we have Fabienne Lajoie, an associate at Eamon Harnden. Welcome to you, uh, Fabienne. Hello, everyone. Uh, great to have you as well. So, Sarah, you're going to help us uh, provide a little bit of context as we kick off the show. Uh, tell us what we'll be chatting about today. So, in the past, other than overhearing water cooler discussions, employers had very little way of knowing what their employees were doing when they were away from work. The internet and social networking have completely changed the landscape in that regard. With electronic evidence, it's a lot easier to know and prove exactly what was said, when, and how. These days, we get a lot of questions from employers uh, about when they can take action with respect to off-duty conduct that might impact either directly or indirectly on their workplace. Uh, courts and arbitrators have always drawn a line between employees' work and private lives, and they often make a point that employers aren't custodians of the characters of their employees. Uh, the basic rule is that an employer has no authority over what employees do outside working hours unless they can show that their legitimate business interests or reputation are affected in some way. So our goal today is to address some of the most common questions we receive with respect to off-duty conduct and to give you examples of the types of circumstances that might warrant discipline or termination. Of course, each case is going to be unique, and we always recommend seeking legal advice based on your own individual situation, including the nature of uh, your business, but also whether your workplace is unionized or not. Um, with that said, my colleague Fabienne will now provide an overview of when off-duty conduct can provide cause for discipline or dismissal. And I'm then going to jump in on issues specifically related uh, to social media and internet postings. Okay, Fabienne, I'm just going to run through our agenda for all of our viewers here, then we'll sure. throw things to you, Fabienne. Uh, topic number one, by the way, as we kind of teased, is can off-duty conduct justify discipline or termination? Uh, really great spot to start this conversation. Topic number two, uh, what off-duty conduct warrants action from an employer? 
Uh, number three, I think this one's going to be kind of really get into the nitty gritty on this one. This how social media and internet postings factor into all of this. And then as uh, promoted, we'll have the Q&A session with our live audience. That'll be around 1225. Uh, and uh, by the way, if you're on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, or Twitter, you can ask that questions, those questions on whatever platform you're on, and then we'll moderate them uh, later on in the show. Fabienne, as, uh, as we said, we're going to throw things off to you to uh, get going on topic number one. Awesome. Thank you, uh, Michael. So can off-duty conduct justify discipline or termination altogether? The short answer is yes, but here's the reason why. The right of an employer to discipline their employees for off-duty conduct stems from an implied term in the employment relationship. This implied term is that employees must faithfully perform their duties, including refraining from behavior that negatively impacts or is likely to negatively impact the employer's legitimate business interests. Therefore, to impose discipline, there must be a clear link between the off-duty conduct and the employer's business. The leading case on this subject is a 1967 Ontario ruling, which holds that the required link exists where the off-duty conduct hurts the employer's reputation, undermines the employee's ability to do his or her job effectively, makes coworkers unwilling, unable, or reluctant to work with the employee. For example, an employee makes unwanted sexual advances towards another employee after work hours, so that can be uncomfortable. Number four, constitutes a serious breach of the criminal code. Or number five, makes it hard for the employer to properly carry out its functions and efficiently direct its workforce. And any of those factors can justify discipline because they establish a clear link between the off-duty conduct and the employer's business. Not all the factors must be met to justify discipline. Only one is enough. However, employers tend to mostly rely on the harm to reputation factor. Therefore, it is important to note that if you want to rely on that factor as an employer, you do not have to prove that the employee's off-duty conduct did actual harm to the reputation of your business, just that it had the potential to do so. As for the level of discipline that is appropriate, whether you should give a verbal warning, a written warning, or terminate, this, of course, will depend on the circumstances of each case. So now let's dive into some cases and... Uh, because of time, we have selected cases which expands on the following three factors. So the employee's reputation, the employee's ability to do his or her job effectively, and the criminal code. So the first case is Highland versus Royal Alexandra Hospital. It is a Alberta decision in which the employee was hired by the hospital as a internal auditor. The employee purchased a vehicle for personal use without um, paying JST by means of a tax loophole. Although the transaction was not related to his employment, the hospital thought it was prejudicial to its interest. The hospital terminated the employee with cause. The employee brought an action for wrongful dismissal and the court dismissed the action. 
the court explained that there were grounds for the hospitals to be concerned about the actions of the employee. If they had become public knowledge, the hospital's credibility as a public institution could have been affected. From the public's perspective, it would seem somewhat bizarre that the hospital's employee, who as an auditor must ensure compliance with taxation law, had engaged in questionable efforts to avoid paying JST on his personal vehicle. The employee was, the hospital, sorry, was justified in viewing the actions of the employee as reflecting a lack of judgment and the maintenance and public confidence in financial accountability was important to the hospital. So this case is important because it confirms that the, the potential um, harm to an employer's reputation must be de demonstrated, not actual harm. But also it addresses the second factor that we have discussed. The employee's actions were not necessarily illegal, but they were questionable given his position. The employee's position was important in this case because his off-duty conduct um, undermined or created doubt on his ability to do his job correctly. Similar conduct may not have been sufficient to terminate if he occupied another position. For instance, he was instead a receptionist at, a, at the hospital. So let's contrast the Highland case with the decision in Nejaire versus YMCA, YWCA of St. John. It is a New Brunswick case uh, in which the employee told a fellow coworker at a grocery store to F off and F right off. So the employee's coworker had a four-year-old child with him and the employee was running a after-school program for young children. The employee was terminated with cause for off-duty conduct. The employer argued that the employee's off-duty conduct was unacceptable because it wasn't public and in front of a child. The employer relied on cases which confirms that, the, that teachers occupy positions of trust and exert considerable influence over their students because of their position. But the court ultimately determined that the employer did not have cause to terminate. In the court's opinion, the words F off and F right off were just a forceful and intense way to say, leave me alone or go away. The employer was not able to establish the potential harm to its reputation. Also, the employee had worked for the employer for almost four years without a single complaint. So this case is interesting because the determination de was determined too severe. It also reinforces that mitigating factors such as a disciplinary record, length of service should be assessed whenever disciplinary decision is taken. So now let's talk about charges or convictions under the criminal code. Alberta and Alberta Union of Provincial Employees is a, case, is a case was dealt with a unionized employee hired as a correctional officer. A police search of the employee's residence revealed illegal drugs. The employee was charged with several offenses, including possession for purposes of trafficking marijuana, as well as possession for marijuana and cocaine. 
And this was at a time where marijuana was illegal, of course. So the employee was initially not forthcoming when interviewed by the police and during the employer's internal investigation. So the employee was terminated with cause. The union brought a grievance. The arbitrator rejected the grievance and upheld the termination. In doing so, he made the following comments. Correctional officers convey authority and correctional officers must maintain a high standard of conduct both on and off the job. So what is interesting in this case is that the employee's dishonesty during the internal investigation weighted heavily in the level of discipline imposed. Arbitrators have ruled that integrity and trustworthiness are fundamental in positions that demand a high standard of honesty. However, rarely is an employee terminated solely for failure to be truthful uh, during an internal inter investigation. Instead, a failure to be honest must be taken as a factor in deciding the appropriate discipline. Therefore, again, when deciding the level of discipline to impose, a case-by-case -case analysis must be made. Even in cases where the off-duty conduct is criminal in nature, it will not automatically justify termination. And finally, before I leave it to Sarah to talk about social media use, I want to mention that employers should always consider if the off-duty conduct constitutes harassment or violence in the workplace. For example, bullying outside working hours. Under the Occupational Health and Safety Act, harassment investigations must be conducted promptly and employers have an obligation to take every reasonable precaution to keep their employees safe. Even if the conduct occurs outside working hours, but is tied to the workplace, there could be issues. So again, depending on the results of the investigation, a workplace harassment or if workplace or har harassment or violence is found, discipline could be imposed. So I will leave it to Sarah who will address social media cases. Now just note, uh, Fabienne, that yeah. uh, if you're like me, uh, you probably have a million questions about what you said. <laughs> so uh, we're, we're coming up to our Q&A session at 1225 uh, approximately. And wow, what great examples. I mean, you know, a potential tax evasion, bad language, and then a criminal case. You kind of gave us three terrific examples to contemplate yeah. and uh, and to learn from, Fabienne. Thank you for that. You're welcome. Okay, Sarah. So we got, uh, you know, this is, this is probably the hot button, Sarah. It's uh, topic number three is all about social media. And, you know, social media is really like this giant megaphone for everyone to share their opinions and, and share it with a potential big audience. And we, you know, thinking of the news, it, some stories are popping to mind here. Uh, you know, this is this is uh, this is in the public discourse, Sarah. But take it away. Yeah, absolutely. Social media has really been a hot topic lately. We've been getting lots of questions on it, which we figured would be great opportunity for us to give a bit of information on that. Uh, so employers have concerns related to off-duty social media and internet use, which can stem from a lot of different reasons. For example, employees can now access and use or abuse the internet using company equipment while they're away from the office, whether it's a laptop, a cell phone, or another device. Um, as Fabienne mentioned, there can also be situations where there's cyberbullying or harassment over the internet or 
social media, um, which even if it's off duty, can create potential issues in the workplace if it's between colleagues, which then need to be addressed. Um, and something that intensifies concerns related to social media is that comments that are made online can really reach a broad audience and have a bigger impact on the reputation of employers. So if an employee makes a disparaging comment at a party with friends, it's generally only heard by those that are in attendance and has a much smaller reach. Um, once a comment is made online, it can spread like wildfire and go beyond the original audience and the outside the control of the employee and is something that um, can live on forever, really. So that's why one of my focuses uh, is going to be on cases where employees are disciplined or terminated for posts on social media, uh, with examples both inside the unionized context and the non-union context. Um, a lot of the examples relate to situations where employees either made a disparaging comment about their employer online, um, but there's also some examples where employees engage in behavior like hate speech or other conduct that could have negative impact on the reputation of their employer. Uh, things like making discriminatory comments while identifying their place of work on social media, or for example, posting pictures of themselves engaging in behavior that could objectively harm the employer's reputation while wearing the nice company t-shirt or standing outside the company truck. Uh, things like that uh, often come to our attention as being concerns um, for the most part, what employees do while they're off duty really doesn't concern employers, but there's an exception where that conduct will impact the employer's legitimate interests and discipline and even termination can be justified in some cases uh, where social media posts are made um, or the employee conducts themselves in a way that uh, interferes with the employer's business and operations or negatively impacts the employer's reputation with the public. Uh, the rule of thumb is that there needs to be a link between the employee's conduct and the character of their employment or the employer's legitimate interest. Uh, if you look on the slides that we have, we've got some two contrasting examples. Um, so one of the cases that we have on the slide is Kim versus International Triathlon Union. So you'll see the reference for it if you want to pull it up on Canly or whatever your preferred search tool is. Uh, quick Google might work too. Um, so in that case, the employee was a communications manager who made posts online about her boss on her personal blog and other social media platforms. Uh, some of those posts included comparing interactions with her boss to psychological and physical abuse she had uh, allegedly suffered as a child. Uh, and she also made a post suggesting that members of the board of directors uh, were hungover after a work party um, and other snarky comments. Uh, ultimately, the court found that the comments didn't meet the threshold for just cause. And one of those factors that played against the employer in this case was that they didn't take any steps to correct the behavior. So there wasn't a direct policy in place. And even though they knew these comments were happening, they never gave the employee a warning it was inappropriate uh, or a chance to correct the behavior. So that's one example where the employer's approach was a factor in deciding that there wasn't enough for just cause. Um, the other case we have on the slide, so the Yehuda versus McKenzie Community Arts Council, 
is sort of the opposite of that. The employer took a much more um, proactive approach. Um, as part of that role, the employee had to sign a code of conduct, uh, which included things such as ensuring the credibility and goodwill of the organization, and a good amount of focus on being a good representative of the employer. So the expectations were set in a written policy and the employee was ultimately dismissed after a Facebook exchange with a coworker in which they suggested that firearm use was an appropriate way of dealing with wildlife, uh, specifically bears. And they would be doing so even if they knew it was against municipal bylaws. So in this case, um, it was found that the off-duty conduct was cause for summary dismissal uh, because it was prejudicial to the employer's business interests and reputation. Um, these Facebook comments violated that code of conduct that the employer had in place and were likely to harm the employer's reputation, um, given that it was a small community um, and that this individual worked with children. So ultimately, it was found that the relationship of trust was completely broken. Uh, and everything was that was said was so damaging that um, this person could no longer remain employed and just cause uh, was established. Um, those are the two main cases that uh, we've sit, cited on the slides um, showing the difference between a proactive approach of having a policy and being on the ball as soon as these things come to your attention. Um, while they're not in the slides, if, do you have a few other examples for you to give you an idea of the types of cases where termination was upheld for social media posts? So there is an example where um, a crane operator posted a complaint about a coworker on Facebook and several complaints later, it included things like suggesting sexual assault, really nasty nicknames, really terrible stuff, to be honest. Um, and that was enough to be just cause because these were public comments and they amounted to uh, sexual harassment, which created a poisoned work environment. So that's one example where cause was established um, in that sort of cyber bullying space. Um, another example that we've seen is a CRA employee who was terminated after making several disturbing social media posts that appeared to glorify the Boston Marathon terror bombing and celebrate the death of military personnel and suggested uh, support for some terrorist groups. And in this case, um, one consideration in upholding the termination was that this individual would otherwise have uh, access to confidential information and could be misusing citizen data and that safety concern, which is tied to the nature of the employer and the employee's position itself, um, was enough to justify a termination. Um, and the final example I have before we move on to takeaways um, is a teacher who was eventually terminated for continuing to participate in conferences and meetings uh, sponsored by white supremacist groups that promoted anti-Semitic views. So while this teacher did not express racist views in the classroom, so nothing while on duty, um, the off-duty conduct was enough uh, given the nature of this person's position. So the arbitrator found that as a teacher, they held to a higher standard of conduct 
and this teacher support of racist organizations was not compatible uh, with their role as a teacher and the important objective of providing a school system that is free of bias. So in each case, the nature of the role and the precise type of misconduct or comments that are made is very relevant in being able to determine whether there's enough for a termination here. Such level of details. Wow. <laughs> and it, I mean, it, this just underlines why employment law is so fascinating, because every story is a little bit different. Every story's got is a different context and different details. Uh, we do have some questions uh, coming in for both you, Sarah, and you, Fabienne. I'm going to uh, just go back, though, uh, to topic uh, number one, maybe, and maybe, Fabienne, since you presented topic one, just to uh, delve a little bit deeper in this concept of harm. So let's assume it's a, a comment made in person or on social media. I think one thing you said that was really interesting is that the harm doesn't have to be proven. It just only needs potential. to be. Only potential. Yeah, yeah, only potential. potential. Okay. Yeah. And that exactly. must be, you know, that's a really significant thing. The burden of uh, proof, so to speak, isn't on the employer to say we were actually harmed. That would be a very difficult thing to prove. Exactly. So the threshold is a little bit lower, so which is helpful for employers. Yeah. yeah. And and uh, Sarah, just before we get to some of these comments, I wanted to toss a, a question to you too. So, and it relates to social media again, just to give people the context. So, um so here's the question. Should should employers be like mon proactively monitoring their employees' social media? Or are you just suggesting that if a social media comment is brought to the attention of the employer that they react to it? Like there's a there's some privacy probably considerations, uh, whether legal or just kind of ethical. But anyway, uh, Sarah, maybe give me a, a sense. Is it you go looking for bad comments or when they're brought to your attention, you go, okay, I need to deal with this? Definitely the latter. Uh, okay. We don't need a, a, to suggest that a big brother approach of spying on all your employees and adding them all as friends is, is desirable. Uh, more in terms of best practice, it's ensuring that you're proactive in having a policy. And if things come to your attention, that that policy is enforced consistently. That That's more what we're recommending, okay. not monitoring everyone's every single yeah. tweet. Yeah. Um, you know, no, not hire... that at all. <laughs> Hire a different, uh, a whole department of people, and that wouldn't really be, that wouldn't really Tweet be checker, cool. new job yeah, description. That, that's really odd. Okay, so um, I thought one of the really interesting comments, uh, and, and you know, I like when uh, Eamon Harden's so great at providing, like, practical solutions, proactive solutions, right, to get in front of this. So Elise is asking, and you touched on it, uh, Sarah, in your topic three, if employees are asked to sign a code of conduct that details things that they cannot do outside of work, would that be considered legally binding document in disciplinary actions taken by an employee? So again, I like this idea of, you know, there's a code of conduct to help both parties, right? Both the employers set some boundaries and to give some guidance to employees because we don't want there to be legal issues. But but go, I uh, presume, Sarah, you want to deal with this one? Oh, absolutely. I can jump on this one. So a code of conduct is very helpful in terms of setting out those boundaries uh, and is a good first place if you want to discipline for doing these things. Um, but whether or not you'll be successful or discipline would be recommended is going to depend on the circumstances of each case uh, and whether the rules were reasonable. Right. It, it depends on um, exactly what's in that code of conduct. Uh, so our suggestion is usually to seek legal advice to make sure that code of conduct is as enforceable as possible 
and in managing individual situations because a contextual approach is applied in each and every case looking at exactly what the employee did, what policies might be there, uh, the nature of the employer and the employee's position uh, to determine whether discipline for off-duty conduct is appropriate. Okay, uh, we've got a question from Aya. And she says, is there any difference? This is really interesting. <laughs> is there uh, all these details? Uh, is there any difference between a post shared privately that someone got leaked versus a public post on social media? Who who wants to handle that one? I don't mind if unless Fabienne would like to chip in, but uh, you can go ahead. <laughs> I'm sensing that social media is, is going to be one of the hot topics today. So how it's posted is relevant. It's not like a black and white, it was private, I'm off the hook. But a post that is made publicly would be worse than one that was intended to be private. So it, it's a factor in that whole assessment process um, on what the audience on the post was. Okay, good, 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 good. And uh, I'll throw another one on screen here. And I, and it's from Bob Ker Perkins. Thanks for joining us, Bob. Um, and I'll, I might have to interpret this a little bit. So it, can you speak to scenarios where the conduct is someone having a part-time job, which is not competitive, but the employer does not like how it reflects on the organization? So I think, Bob, what you're touching on there is if it's a part-time position and maybe presumably someone lower in the organization, and maybe Fabian, maybe speak to that. So, you know, maybe whether it was an executive, uh, you know, saying something versus a... I hate to put it this way, someone lower on the hierarchy of the company. Yeah, well, the, of course, like the employer's uh, the employee's position will be a factor uh, in determining the level of discipline to impose. Therefore, executive or supervisor management um, personnel are held to a higher standard of, um, of trust, of authority, um, so the off-duty conduct, um, you know, can um, um, be impacted by the position of the employee versus someone who uh, has a, someone who, let's say, is, uh, um, has a, a lower, yeah, a, a job that is not in a supervisory uh, or management uh, level. Okay. Yeah. Um, maybe we'll wrap up with this one. Um... So this concept uh, that was cited by you in the in topic number three, Sarah, of corrective action, right? So someone said something on social media. It was certainly offensive. There is potential uh, harm, but the court said eh, there should have been some corrective action. Uh, do you, do you want to speak to that, uh, Sarah, a little bit more? No, absolutely. So termination isn't the only potential corrective action. Uh, it's the one we tend to hear more about. Um, because you might not see a lawsuit for a written warning or, or something like that that doesn't have the same impact. Uh, but when you're looking at potential discipline, there's a lot of different options to consider. Like I said, written warning is one of them. Um, suspension, depending on whether you're unionized or not. Um, up All the way up to termination. Termination is like the biggest discipline that you can impose but there's a whole range of things that can happen in between and you've got to find the right fit for for that situation so sometimes if it's an inappropriate post and the impact is relatively minor the answer might be a warning right um 
that sort of makes sense. Mm -hmm. If you want, I can give a little bit of an overview of some key takeaways. Um, Maybe one more question, then we'll go to key takeaways. I was going to wrap things up with this one. I, we got to do this one since it's just so <laughs> topical. And uh, you can let me know who wants to do it, but you'll see why it's so topical. So it's Christmas party season, mm -hmm. and someone is going to drink too much and then behave in some way that will affect their employment. Uh, how do you get in front of this as an employer and prevent it? That's a really good question. You can see why. Very, we, very we appropriate for this the one season. In. We needed no. to squeeze this one in, yeah, but uh, take it away uh, either Fabian or Sarah. So for that one, there's a couple different things that are best practices. So if you are serving alcohol at a work party, generally ensuring everyone has a safe way home. So like a taxi is best practice. Um, making sure that the alcohol is not served to the extent that people do things that are inappropriate can also be a good step. So things like having smart serve and things like that. Um, and if you've got good policies in place, those are in terms of what's appropriate behavior at workplace related events. Sure. Um, those are probably the three biggest things that you can do to try to, to curb that without getting into an individual recommendation, of course. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, we will go to our, our break, but just or our, our wrap up. But I just want to say this, don't serve alcohol. That's an interesting idea. <laughs> for our, that works too. Uh, that and this one too. Have I was thinking of this one, have a limit of two drinks, right? Just say, we'll serve everyone one or two drinks and then that's it. So you get kind of proactive. So we yeah. love practical solutions. Exactly. Right? Uh, uh, okay. We've been, we've been talking about the takeaways. Let's, uh, let's move into our takeaway section. No. So the takeaway is really that if an employer wants to impose discipline uh, on an employee, that there's got to be a connection between the conduct and the employment relationship. And we've been repeating it a lot, but a contextual approach is what's applied to determine whether misconduct constitutes just cause, either for discipline or termination, looking at the big picture, all of the circumstances, including exactly what an employee did or posted, who the employer is, what position the employee has, and what policies might be in place to determine whether discipline's appropriate, and if so, what type. Um, employee positions are a very important factor, so employees in management or supervisory roles um, that require a high degree of trust are held to a higher standard. And in the cases where um, in some exceptional cases, a single act of con misconduct can justify dismissal, but that's where um, the actions have to be totally incompatible with an employee's duties or prejudicial to the employer in some way. Uh, for example, harming their reputation. Uh, and in terms of best practices, ensuring that you're proactive and have an appropriate social media or code of conduct policy in place and enforcing it uh, consistently would be our recommendations. That's great. That's great. Such great content. Uh, Sarah and Fabienne, you did a great job uh, in, in informing employers here today. Uh, we're going to bring up your contact slide. So it, it is kind of one of the uh, implied things in all of this that, you know, these are tricky situations. There's lots of details. So uh, if you want to get some uh, advice, you know, here's how to contact both Sarah and Fabienne. You get their phone number and uh, email address there. So thank you so much. Uh, Sarah and Fabian for joining us today. 
Uh, we'll hope to see you soon. We have we have lots more shows planned in 2024. Uh, we don't have the dates for them yet, but uh, I know we've got a commitment to continue with this. Thank you for having right. us. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, Thank Sarah. You. Thanks, Fabienne. All right. And a reminder, by the way, uh, there is a great library of these videos uh, available on OBJ's YouTube channel. They're all together in a playlist, so they're easy to find. Uh, and it's a little bit of a treasure trove. So if you're an employer who has questions about very topical issues, I urge you to uh, check them off. Well, we're, uh, we're out of time. So uh, on behalf of uh, my friends at uh, Ottawa Business Journal, including Paula Stewart, that played a big role in setting today uh, up, as well as uh, uh, Sarah and Fabienne, great job once again. I want to remind everyone that you can visit obj.ca website uh, every day for local business news. I highly recommend you subscribe to our weekday email newsletter. It's a way that uh, thousands and thousands of local business leaders and community leaders stay in touch with what's happening in Ottawa. Lots of exclusive news on that. You can also uh, follow us uh, on social media. Just don't post those nasty posts. Anyway, uh, you'll have to get even harder involved. And since you're on, uh, many of you are on YouTube, we urge you to uh, click the red subscribe button. Our number of subscribers is growing substantially. And then the little bell icon. And if you do that, when we post a video, you get a notification. That's all the time we have. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day and keep uh, stay tuned to more coming to you from Ottawa Business Journal and Union Harden. Bye-bye, everyone.